I'm doing a podcast, and I'm needing a clip. But you guys, I've got the audio. I just need permission to use it. I didn't know you what I needed. You have a clip? I've already ripped the audio. Yeah, I just haven't used it. Would you like to speak with our editor if he's here? Yeah. Let me see. Hey. Um, I'm doing a podcast on the um, disappearance of Casey Lindley Daniel. I was wondering if there was someone who could talk to me. Okay, hang on just a second. All right. Well, uh, if there was anything off limits, I'm sure the police would have told you. But anything that we've done is fair game. Right. He told me that, uh, you know, the original report of the day of, which that's where I'm going to start anyway, so that's right. great. But they're going to have to dig it out. Um, and that's about all he told me. He didn't give me much more than the internet gave me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least in the beginning. You, you get into, you get into small town stuff and... If they don't know you or your folks, they don't care to talk to you. So. Yeah. But yeah. I guess I can say that. Yeah. yeah. I began working on searching for ghosts in the fall of last year. I started scouring the internet, trying to find anything I could on this case. As far as official reports, the information on the web was pretty much that initial story of how Cindy, Casey's mother found the house that night. Laid out of cookies and milk on the floor. There was a bowl illuminated of cookies and milk on Casey's television. Illuminated by the glow of Casey's television. As the back door of the house stood wide open. First call by Casey's mother to find her daughter. First call by Casey's mother to find her daughter. Was made some ten hours later. There were a few stories done by WMC TV Channel 5 out of Memphis covering vigils that were held on the anniversaries of Casey's disappearance. But that was pretty much it. Some of the sites I found looked like they haven't been updated since 1996. Remember how the internet used to look? With the awful graphics and cheesy font? Yeah, this was my main source in the beginning in which to make a podcast. Then I decided to reach out to the Milan Mirror Exchange, Milan's local newspaper. Back in 2005, I was a reporter for one of the papers owned by the same guy who owns the Mirror Exchange, so I had an in. The editor of the paper, Victor Parkins, was very helpful. He gave me two names of people to contact that he felt sure would talk to me. He even let me use audio from a video interview done a few years back of Casey's best friend, Amber, who has been the main person to keep Casey's memory alive over the years. It's her voice that you hear in the Searching for Ghosts teaser. She was one of the two names that he gave me. As a mother now myself, I can't imagine being able to, I mean, I would be knocking on their door. Yeah. What's new? You know, have you talked to anybody? Has anybody, any new leads? Anything, anything. I could not just let it go. I knew that I had a hard road to hoe ahead of me. I'm not from Milan. Strike one. I'm not an investigative journalist. Strike two. I'm a musician. Strike three. So I tried reaching out to Amber through social media, and I waited. I think she even deleted my friend request. So I contacted a friend of mine who had gone to high school with her. I asked him to reach out to Amber and grease the skids for me. And that's what he did. 
He vouched for me and explained that the past two years of my life had been documented in Left of Nashville. So if she wanted to know what I was about, there was basically an audio diary of mine online. Even so, I got nothing. This, among other things, caused me to shelve the project. I felt that if I couldn't get Casey's best friend to talk, a friend who was with her the night she disappeared, then I had no shot of getting anyone in the family to talk. And with hardly any information about the case available to the public, I knew I didn't have a podcast without friends and family. But this case kept gnawing at me. I couldn't let it go entirely, especially after stumbling on a podcast by Payne Lindsay called Up and Vanished. Lindsay is a filmmaker in Atlanta, and his podcast is about the 11-year-old missing persons case of Tara Grinstead in Osceola, Georgia. Like me, Lindsay wasn't an investigative reporter. He wasn't even a podcaster. And Osceola, Georgia is about half the size of Milan, Tennessee. So he was having even more trouble getting people to talk. But he went ahead with the podcast anyway. And just a few weeks ago, the GBI made two arrests in the cold case, no doubt in large part due to Up and Vanished. I had no excuse at this point. So I decided to go ahead and launch this thing. I put together the introductory episode and wrote a press release. I sent it out, and within two hours, the daily paper in Jackson, Tennessee, the Jackson Sun, had it up on their website. And the following day, it was on the front page of the paper, above the fold. And that's when Amber contacted me. She apologized for not responding earlier and explained to me why she had reservations. She then followed up with an offer to help in any way possible. So this is Casey Lynn McDaniel's best friend and her first-hand recollections of August 16th and 17th of 1996. I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts. our freshman year of high school in 1996 and our church had a back to school bash it was called and our youth kind of hosted it and we invited you know other kids from different schools our church was right between Milan and Humboldt so we had youth from Humboldt and Milan and then Gibson and just the whole small little area there so we had a lot of uh, visitors at our church that night but we had a dinner, a pizza party, and a local band played. It was actually put together, a band that some high school kids put together, and um, they played, and it was overall good time. Everybody was in a good mood. She seemed to be in a really good mood that night. Um, We danced and talked and just kind of hung out with friends like you do when you're 14 years old. And uh, so then when the event ended, it probably ended around, I'm going to guess, 10.30 or 11, and um, our youth group, since we hosted it, we stayed behind and cleaned up and made sure everybody, you know, left and everything got locked up and everything was cleaned up, and one of the chaperones took Casey home that night. If I remember correctly, it was probably between 11.30 and 12 that she was dropped off. And uh, the chaperone that took her remembers that she took her, pulled in her driveway, she got out of the car, she waited on her to walk in the house, and I think it was obvious that no one was home because it was dark. 
but uh, she went in, turned the lights on, came back outside, waved like everything was okay, and shut the door behind her. So that's when, obviously, the chaperone would just leave, um, assuming everything was okay. As far as I know, that was the last time anybody uh, saw her. According to Amber, she remembers that it was initially handled as a runaway case, which is understandable, especially since it involved a teenager. But Amber never believed that Casey was a runaway. We already had plans for the next day. One of the adults at our church has, or the couples at our church has a pool, and they were have, having a pool party for us. So, of course, when we all left, it was, okay, see y'all tomorrow, see y'all tomorrow. Because we were all planning to meet up again at this pool party. Right. Um, so, you know, I just, we knew we were just going to, she'd actually, I think, if I remember correctly, and my memory's a little fuzzy because it's been so long, but it seems like to me she had even already set up for the same adult or a different one to pick her up for the pool party to take her at her house. The story of how Casey's mother found the house that night is attached to every news report that can be found about this case. It is the story. And the thing that jumps out to almost everyone who hears it, and the question that I've been asked most since airing the teaser last fall, is who waits 10 hours to call someone? I thought that there might be an explanation after Amber described the dynamics of their friendship. How our friendship is, I mean, we were so close, but that was not unusual. That either I would just go home with her, or she would come home with me, and we almost never had to ask our parents. It was just, we would get there and there, the other one would be. We were just that close. Anyway, fast forward, we, everybody goes home like we don't know anything's going on. Well, early, no, not even really early. I'm going to guess probably 9 o'clock, 9.30. I got a phone call, and it was uh, Casey's mother. And she said, let me talk to Casey. And I said, well, Casey's not here. And uh, she said, well, she told me she would spend the night with you. And I said, no. So, you know, I was just like, well, she's not here. She didn't tell me she, was not, she, she didn't spend the night with me. And she said, well, she, again, she said she was supposed to. Or she told her she would spend the night with me, and then she didn't. So um, she said, well, okay, well, Call around and see if you can find her. Call your call any other friends and see if she went to somebody else's house. So again, I'm just so confused because I don't know why she would. You know, she just seemed very calm about it all, and I thought, well, maybe she did go somewhere else, even though it was late at night when she got home. So I start calling around to different friends of ours, and of course, no one has seen her or talked to her, and. Um, so I then turn around and call her mother back and tell her, uh, I've called everybody I think of and I want to talk to her. So, um, she then, I don't think, I, can't, I just can't remember all the details, but she, I don't know if she did not have a car or her car wasn't there, but, uh, she asked for if my mom and I could come get her, her mother. Mm-hmm. And... My parents were not home at the time. They had gone to run an errand uh, the next town over, and 
when they got back home, uh, it's, uh, it's just so vivid to me. I can remember so many things, but yet so many things slipped my mind, easy things. But I can remember sitting in a chair, staring out my front door when my parents pulled up. And when they walked in, I just said, Casey is missing. Of course, I was like, what? And I said, her mom can't find her. Casey's missing. So my mom does what I, she kind of freaks out a little bit. She's like, well, let's, let's go. Get up. Let's go see if we can help find her. Right. So I, we get up and we head out to his house and pick her up. And um, at that point, she then, it's, it's fumbling in my mind as to what order this all happened. But somehow we ended up driving out to her uncle's house, her mother's brother's house who lived a, way, a little ways out from where Casey lived. She wanted to see if she was there for some reason. And, of course, we get out there, and she's not there either. And then we get back to Milan, and she wants to stop at, um, she wants to stop and make a phone call. And so we stop at my aunt's house, who also lives in Milan, and she uses her phone, and then... We leave again, and then at that point is when we go to the police station. Um, so we get there, and I'm at this point very, I'm just freaking out because I'm like, I've never even set foot in a police station. You know, at 14 years old, it's just kind of scaring me that it's gotten to this point, and, um, I mean, I remember going in and talking to the officer that was there, and it was, and, and, and my, this is where I'm just kind of fuzzy because, again, I'm 14 years old, so, um, but I remember her telling her what, telling them what happened, and then, um, as far as how she supposedly, supposedly found her house when she got home at whatever time it was, and, um, so... And I guess that's, that leads up to where, I guess, the law enforcement got involved. So if Casey did tell her mother she was spending the night at Amber's, wouldn't this be more in line with a runaway situation than an abduction? Amber still doesn't buy it. I feel like, which we had never done this before, I'd never, like, I mean, because we're only 14. That's something that probably comes when you're 17. Right. <laughs> you know, to, hey, tell your mom I'm with you, but I'm really going out with this guy. I mean, we really hadn't gotten to that stage of, being wild teenagers, <laughs> I felt it was wrong because even if she was lying and was going to go somewhere else, she would have told me that, hey, if if my mom calls, and I, I told her I'll spend the night with you, you know, and that didn't happen as far as I can remember. And from that's just what has stuck in my head as being off as the very get-go out of the gate is how she said she was supposed to be at my house. Yeah. And she wasn't. And, I mean, even at, even at, even then, I felt like something was weird about that. I asked Amber if she could remember Cindy's demeanor as they were riding around looking for Casey. Something that I can remember is her just calling out random friends' names. Did you call this person, did you call this person? We need to call this person. And she's just thinking of all these people 
random people, you know, I mean, they were friends of ours, but, like, not somebody that Casey probably would have just left with in the middle of the night, you know? Right. And, um, so, no, I mean, I don't, I just don't remember her being overly upset because I was thinking that she was thinking that she's just with another friend and can't find her. And, of course, there's no cell phone for anybody, so you could call their home phone, and if nobody's answering... You know, got wait and call back. That's true, right? Um, Which leads us back to the story. You know, the story. While Casey spending the night in Amber's might explain Cindy's calm demeanor the following day, and possibly why she waited 10 hours to call anyone, it still doesn't mesh with the story of how the scene looked at the house. There is even one news report where a relative states that Casey's favorite brand new pair of shoes were found in her room. There is no evidence that she left that house dressed to go out. And I know how this scenario, the story, whatever you want to call it, I know, I know it verbatim. You know, she she walks in and, and the uh, the TV is on and the clothes that she wore that night are on her bed and there's bowls, cereal, crumb, you know, cookies crumbled up and milk sitting in her floor. There's no signs of struggle. The back door is open. You know, I know that story so well. But what that is to me is a story. You know, it could be 100% true. I'm not saying it's not, but there was no, uh, quote, photographic evidence from police of that scene. You know, because they aren't brought to the scene until the next day, and I don't even know if they even came in, honestly. I think that, you know, right off the bat, the police thought she ran away. You know, or I guess maybe that's their first, Listening to the Left of Nashville Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.